Ryan Stanton here with a set front line today, joined by Dr. Matthew Wilkinson, who uh, peds EM, uh, peds PDM, double boarded physician, and we're actually talking today about uh, one of the common things that we see. And interestingly, I just caveat the whole thing by my first abscess that I saw, MRSA-based abscess, was at the Veterans Administration as a surgery intern uh, back in 2003. Uh, between 2003 and 2004, a veteran came in that had a, um, you know, one of these larger abscesses. We and I, I indeed it as a surger, surgery service at that point. But of course, since then, uh, we've been seeing the significant growth of abscesses, typically MRSA based. You know, you still have some of the uh, regular old strep and staph, but mostly MRSA is what we see now, and especially with the opioid epidemic, this huge spike. But also something uh, with our specialists today, uh, common among the peds population. Uh, as well, which always makes a lot of us in the community setting shudder a little bit when you have a peds patient come in with a, in their case, tends to be a big old buttock abscess um, that we tend to transfer down, get admitted, all that good stuff. Uh, but we're talking about the evolution of the management of abscesses. We've seen the uh, evolution of, you know, folks that are just giving uh, antibiotics, which is, that is my first rule of emergency medicine, is if somebody says they can cure an abscess with just am antibiotics or without draining it, you're immediately to smack them in the mouth, uh, because that's not going to work. The primary treatment is incision and drainage for abscesses. Um, antibiotics, plus or minus, we've seen the research uh, waffle back and forth with absolutely not, well, yes, then absolutely not, and then, well, maybe, you know, with the decrease of recurrence, not necessarily with the acute resolution of the uh, current one. So, talking with Dr. Wilkinson today, we're going to talk about uh, where we are, or where we've been, where we're going uh, with the management and one of the technologies that is out there that has evolved from this as well. And to give uh, background with uh, Loop IND, uh, this is a technology that um, with that change in practice, instead of the large incision with the packing with whether your gauze, your plain gauze or iodoform gauze, uh, was Loop IND. I first heard about it probably 12 years ago or so when uh, Dr. Julia Martin at the University of Kentucky, um, who uh, actually gave me the nickname Party Boy, even though I'm not a partier, but that's a longer story that you guys can ask about later um, because of my ortho rotation. Uh, but she went to a conference. I believe this is the story. If not, she can correct me. I went to a conference in Florida, learned about uh, loop IND using a vessel loop and um, something she taught us at the University of Kentucky at the time. And then I transitioned uh, to where I am now and uh, taught a lot of the folks there what I learned there. So we're doing that pretty predominantly at our community setting with the loop IND, with the uh, vessel loop, two small incisions, wash it out, break up loculations, tie it off leave it in for a week or so, and then run with it. But now, somebody who was not me, and I was unfortunate, I'm kicking myself for not thinking of this uh, because it's a great idea, has come up with a technology to actually do these um, uh, do these loop INDs with actual uh, kit and technology. We're going to talk about that some today. But Dr. Wilkinson, that was a long introduction, but I have a lot of stories and things about loop INDs and about incision uh, incision. Um, management, uh, but uh, welcome. Give us a little background on yourself, and then let's jump in with that uh, evolution in history uh, of abscesses and uh, getting us to today. Yeah, sure thing. Um, first, uh, Ryan, thank you so much for having me here today. It's a, it's a great pleasure. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I'm from the Northeast. I graduated from medical school uh, from the University of Connecticut in 2002. Uh, came down to Austin to do residency in pediatrics, uh, and then went out to Phoenix uh, for Peds Emergency uh, Fellowship. 
came back to Austin in 2008. We had a brand new, beautiful uh, hospital at that time. I've been working clinically since then. Uh, but also since 2012, I've been the research director for uh, our uh, pediatric emergency medicine fellowship that started in that year. Um, and more recently, I'm the assistant chair of clinical research for the Department of Pediatrics at uh, Bell Medical School in Austin. Um, so primarily what I do, uh, in addition to clinical work, is I help residents, fellows, young faculty design research. Um, I have an MPH in statistics. So I do a lot of the analysis, teach evidence-based medicine. Um, so uh, that is kind of largely my approach uh, to some of the things we'll talk about today. Um, and how I got uh, introduced or uh, interested in abscess management. Um, so about 2009, uh, you know, we had been doing all open IDs, just like pretty much most of the country. And uh, one of my general EM partners uh, who did rotations at the PEDS site, who was fantastic with kids, uh, introduced me to this new vessel loop technique. Uh, and immediately, um, you know, we saw the potential advantages in children with, you know, smaller incisions, probably less pain, easier home care. So over the next probably two to three years, our entire department uh, transitioned to doing only vessel loop uh, drainage procedures, so probably the, you know, 2010, 11, 12 time. And, you know, shortly after that, our surgeons even transitioned to now only do vessel drainage. And these are very large abscesses um, being done in the, in the, uh, the OR, excuse me. Um, so, you know, this technology not only benefits us in the frontline of the ED, but um, kind of in the, in the OR as well. Um, so we were doing that, you know, 2009, 10, 11, 12, and then our first class of fellows in 2013, one of them, Logan Rancher, um, you know, all of our fellows had to do research and he had an interest um, in doing research with the vessel loop because there was pretty much nothing prospective at the time comparing um, vessel loop to open drainage uh, and definitely nothing in pediatrics. So uh, he and I kind of did the first ever um, pediatric prospective trial comparing uh, the two modalities, which showed um, you know, really nice resolution rates in both groups, but obviously with the potential for less scarring and less pain and all the advantages kind of that the loop would have. Um, and so, you know, that was that was a few years back. Some more studies have come out since that we can talk about, as well as a really nice meta-analysis um, that was published uh, a couple of years ago uh, by Michael Gottlieb, who's, you may know, is the godfather of PUS, uh, as well as uh, Jillian Schmitz, who's our, you know, our current uh, ASAP president. So the two of them put out this meta-analysis that I think kind of shows definitively that this is probably the path to the future in abscess management. Interestingly, well, Jillian, good, good shout out to Jillian because I was actually just texting back and forth before the podcast. She will be the uh, immediate past president by the time we release this. We're actually recording uh, just a few days before we head out to San Francisco for ASAP 22. Um, and I do want to dive into that research and data because initially the education was we need this wide gaping uh, incision. You got to go in there and you got to really stir it up. Uh, and if you got a house blender or something like that to get in that abscess and turn it on and whip up the whole thing, um, wash it out for a week, you know, do those things, repack it, have that patient come back into the ER, whatever, every, you know, every two to three days to get it repacked or teach them to pack it at home, you know, a terribly painful and uncomfortable procedure. And we transitioned, interesting, we, we transitioned or I learned about it almost at the same time that you did. Uh, it seems like about 2010 was when I started doing it. And, you know, you put the loop in, you have them, you know, make sure they wash. You know, that's one of the interesting things about abscesses is 
you know, they say, well, can I take a shower? Like, absolutely. I want you to take a shower. I want you to keep this thing good and clean. And then moving that loop, you know, a little bit to keep those loculations and keeping or closing itself up, you know, over those days. So let's go over that uh, state of the union, because as emergency physicians, many of which are community that are listening today, um, you know, how do we, what does the evidence say? Because we were at, you know, absolute big gaping wound, packing antibiotics. And then we go to, um, you know, smaller wound, um, plus minus antibiotics. And now we're kind of in still in a plus minus antibiotic stage, uh, but with the smaller sites, you know, with the smaller uh, IND, loop IND, without those big incisions. So let's get a state of the union of that data research and that meta-analysis you referenced. Sure. Um, yeah, let me start by saying, you know, the literature related to abscess management has exploded uh, over the last 20 years. Um, so trying to read and understand it all, I think, is is literally impossible. And that's why some of these more recent review articles and meta-analyses can be very helpful um, because it's just, you know, it's impossible in our field to stay on top of emerging literature and all of the conditions that we need to deal with. Um, but I will tell you my interpretation of what I've read um, over the past decade or so when it comes to this specific issue. So I, there are a couple of small IND packing studies that show that probably packing is not necessary, uh, especially for small abscesses. And again, these are small randomized trials, but I think that's kind of been the general conclusion that folks are moving away from packing. Um, and then more recently, these studies that do show that the loop is not only equivalent with its tiny incisions peripherally, but actually superior to a large open IND, so why would that be? You know, on, on the surface, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So big incision, get all the pus out, break all the loculations, you know, what's the possibility that that abscess will fail or reform seems very low. I mean, it's got plausibility that this big incision, breaking loculations, that should be the way to go. So why then do you have these loop drains with their small incisions peripherally performing better and I think the reason is, and there's, I don't, I haven't seen data looking directly at that, is the thing that matters the most in addition to your drainage is not letting those wounds seal over right away because that's what lets the pus reaccumulate. And that's what lets the abscess reform or track and require, you know, a repeat procedure. And so uh, what I used to do when kind of packing fell out, but we were still using the gauze is I wouldn't stuff a whole bunch in there. I would just throw a wick in there with the goal of just keeping that wound edge open for a couple of days. Um, but we've, we've all seen these come back. You know, they come back, they're supposed to come back in 48 hours, they come back four days later, and it's just this big honking concrete mass that's, that's occluding the exit. And then you're pulling out basically pus and scab and all kinds of stuff that probably was, was doing the opposite of what you intended. And so what I think is happening when we put these loops in and we leave them for more than 48 hours, sometimes like you stated up to a week, especially for some of the big ones with a lot of cellulitis, is it's allowing continuous drainage. And so what it's doing is keeping those wound edges open and try to think about and visualize what's happening inside that cavity. So in spite of your best intentions, and we can talk about loculations and irrigation, all the other things, you're not gonna get all the infection out. So there's still some infected material in there. There's usually still some cellulitis, whether you can see it on the surface or not. There's going to be bacteria and, you know, phlegmatous or necrotic material in the subcutaneous space. And so that's also probably why antibiotics are helpful. So over time, there's still infected material there. It, it needs to have a place to go or else it's going to build up pressure. It's going to impede healing. It's going to encourage more necrosis, more infection. 
And so leaving those small incisions open allows for drainage, allows reduced pressure inside the cavity, allows for uh, improved granulation from below to allow that infection to resolve. And so that's my interpretation of the last two decades of where we've gone from incision size to packing to no packing to these now vessel loops with their very small incisions. I think that's what's happening where the real benefit lies. I completely agree. Um, and, you know, just keeping it open and allowing, giving that exit strategy, um, you know, the leaving it in there with just antibiotics doesn't give that opportunity to penetrate that uh, phlegmatous space. Um, it just allows to continue to, I mean, the body's doing what it's supposed to do, which is it finds a foreign intruder that it can't kill off right away. So it just walls it off. And if by walling it off, it actually can't get in there and do anything with it. Um, so allowing that to drain out. So just antibiotics isn't going to work. You know, that initial, you know, aspiration technique, which we somewhat see, I mean, we're still seeing a ton of just antibiotic approaches at our walk-in clinics, but of course, a lot of times that is folks that don't have the adequate training or experience to know what the hell to do uh, with these things. Um, but then you have uh, some still considering that aspiration where they pull some pus out of it, which is actually what happened to my uh, bursa in my elbow. That didn't work. Uh, but, you, you know, working uh, with that aspiration, still leaving all that stuff in there. And you see that natural progression where a lot of people say it gets large and then it volcanoes and then it seals back up and builds back up volcanoes, you know, as it kind of goes through that cycle. And what this allows it to do is just to keep that open to allow that drainage to happen, to allow the body to start contract, to, to fight off that infection, contract that space. And now with the addition of some antibiotics, decreasing that risk of reaccumulation and recurrence down the road. Um, you know, it, that seems to be, to me, uh, especially in the folds, um, where you have, you know, inevitably, if you do an armpit or a buttock, or at least a, um, it, in the crack, um, you know, you end up with that um, the packing falls out very quickly with uh, friction and, and typical movements. And so you're, then you're losing it in, in four to six hours, as opposed to the at least a couple of days which are necessary. And the loop allows it to have it less, much less uncomfortable in a lot of these areas, uh, smaller uh, quote-unquote footprint uh, per se, as well as the what I find is a, a lot less uncomfortable in terms of placing uh, the technique. Now, you know, what we're doing now or what I'm doing was the two small incisions uh, and then, you know, passing a forcep through, a mosquito forcep through, and then pull it, grabbing the vessel loop, pulling it through, and then tying it, you know, washing or irrigating the wound if necessary. Uh, but we've got new technology now uh, and somebody smarter than I in terms of saying, hey, we've got this way of doing things. Let's actually put together a kit that does that for us. Um, so let's talk about, you know, that evolution from using what we had in our storage closet with uh, suture kits and uh, vessel loops uh, to where we are now with that potential and availability of actual kits that are designed to uh, not only to place a vessel loop, but also irrigate that wound as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, so this goes back to that same time period when we were doing this technique. Uh, and like you stated, it's honestly a little bit technically challenging. And um, we surveyed uh, three or 400 emergency physicians from around the country uh, recently about their experience with the loop and, you know, what were the challenges? Why were they maybe, you know, what were the barriers to performing this technique? And the technical challenge and finding the equipment was kind of the big one uh, for most people um, because, you know, an open IND is, is the most straightforward procedure you could ever do. It's, it's a big slash. It's pretty, it's pretty gruesome, honestly. But trying to do this technique with a five millimeter incision, you know, with a hemostat tenting the opposite side and then finding that, that hemostat with your blade, you know, if you're not good with your offhand, getting it to pop out to be able to grab that vessel, it's a little bit challenging. In addition to, I mean, do you remember how to tie a surgical knots? Because 
I actually love doing um, the well, best loop technique. I took great pride in my in my knots, but I think a lot of folks hadn't done it in a decade and were, were fumbling and maybe a little bit uncomfortable with that part of it. I had a little bit of a cheat code in that I did a year of surgery. Um, and so, you know, I'm, my hands still do the single-handed, and actually the single-handed knot's the one that I could I would struggle with. I think I could get the single-handed knot now uh, still, but the dual-handed knot, it's, it's, in, it's ingrained in my... Uh, in my brain as much as my kids' names just because of how many knots I did in surgery and trauma and plastics and ortho and, and everything else. But completely agree, you know, and the challenge with a vessel loop especially is it makes, uh, it makes uh, you know, the uh, proline and ethylon, the larger gauges of those, look like they hold a knot great. You know, the vessel loop with it being that rubber, rubberized or whatever it is, it's not going to hold them. So you really got to not only put a bunch of knots in it, but pull those last couple down so tight in order to get it to hold. And you still have that chance for it to start to unravel itself. So it's not just even the technique that you've forgotten since residency in med school, but also, uh, or the skills, but also the fact that the vessel loop is, especially the larger vessel loops, which is what we started with, with the uh, larger red, I believe. And uh, now we're using a lot of the, the medium-sized blue um, is the fact that they still don't like to hold a knot that well. Um, so with that interlude, let's continue with how we, where, where, where we've gone now or where we're going. And along those lines, square knots, right? The square knots, I, I preach to all my trainees and almost none of them know what the heck I'm talking about. Now, why do you switch your hands when you throw? And it's, if you use a vessel loop, you're going to see why, because those things don't lay down straight and they pop out before the kids leave. So, so yeah, square knots. Or um, kind of what we decided was, okay, you know, we have these barriers. We think this technique is superior and we're starting to get data to show that it, it was superior. And I think we have that data now. But at the time, in, in I think it was 2014, one of my partners showed up from the Northeast. He had trained at Jacoby where he claims, and I can't verify this, that they invented the procedure using uh, butterfly tubing and some suture. I think they were using it um, for Bartholin's uh, abscesses at the time. Um, so I can't confirm or deny that they invented the loop procedure, but he states that they were using it way before the literature kind of started to come out in 2010. Um, but uh, Mike Gorn uh, showed up, one of my partners, and, and said, you know, how can we simplify this procedure? What can we do? There's got to be a way to make this easier for people um, because it's probably going to be the way to go in the future. And so he and I uh, formed a company called EM Device Lab and our first and uh, primary priority was to try to tackle this problem. Um, and so we spent the next basically five years developing a product that would simplify the technique. Um, and it's called the quick loop. Um, you can see videos of it on uh, emdevicelab.com, but essentially what it does is it takes this entire procedure and puts it in one device. And so uh, it's probably easier to see it than explain it, but essentially it's, it's a suture with a blade on the back attached to tubing uh, with fenestrations and then a lure lock on the end with a clip. And so essentially it's one device thrown in to this abscess with a suture technique. So it punctures through one side, punctures through the other side, the blade on the back makes the exact five millimeter incision that you're supposed to make with this technique. Pulled through on the other side, uh, leaves the tubing in place so you don't have to probe and find it. Um, and then the incision is large enough that you can pull up on the tubing and break loculations. Cause I do, based on my review of the literature, think that breaking loculations is critical. Um, and I believe this from my own bounce backs that I've seen when I had inadequate loculations due to inadequate sedation. And that's a whole different topic we can talk about if we want to. 
Um, but loculations broken up, and then you know we avoid this whole having to tie in a slippy knot with a clip on the back, uh, and then the needles cut off, and you're essentially left with a clipped loop that you can then irrigate through if you choose to. And irrigation is another controversial topic, like there are so many. But if you choose to, you can irrigate uh, the wound from the inside out because of the fenestrated tubing. Um, and then even uh, if you think your patient or parent is sophisticated enough, uh, like we talked about washing it um, in the in the tub, you can actually give them a syringe and have them irrigated from the inside out in the tub. And, and that's what we don't know if that's gonna you know, bring these already dropping failure rates that are in like in the single digits, could we bring that down to zero with some home treatments? It is a cool technology. And um, you know, I, when uh, we met, uh, or actually the reference came from um, a meeting, you know, looking at some of the future technologies, a suggestion by uh, one of our past presidents with ASAP, looking at some of the um, cool technology and, and uh, things that are coming out uh, by other emergency physicians. And you know, so checked into this one and saw it, because this is a procedure I really like. And, you know, it looks more traditional if, you, if you're in that surgery trauma realm, you know, some of those uh, larger uh, fascia, you know, abdominal fascia-based sutures, you know, that larger needle uh, looks more like a, one of those. But there is kind of that wingtip at the end uh, that cuts as an 11-blade um, design on both sides. Um, and then as it pulls through, that's, it's a kind of that natural curvature that, you know, you're going to be able to take care of almost any sized uh, abscess just being able to manipulate, just like you would with sutures, you know, that angulation of, of going into that abscess itself. And then you have the tubing, as you mentioned, that potential with the fenestrations in the middle for the irrigation, which prevents, you know, some of that potential of having to, you know, pull the loop in circles, you know, with the family or whatever it may be, uh, but still being able to irrigate, get out that uh, phlegmon that may be left behind and irrigate it there in the emergency department, if you like. And then leaving it in, uh, leaving it in place, uh, and with a pretty a lot easier uh, to hold knotting method than what we get with the vessel loop. So it really does kind of cheat code uh, everything that we've done so far with with the loop IND approach. And the nice thing is a pretty uh, pretty uh, small footprint device uh, that you can use. So um, as give what are the so with this. What is the design length uh, and, and time by which we are uh, leaving this in place? I mean, what's the research saying is kind of that wheelhouse? Because uh, with some discussions, we're talking about the shorter for smaller kind of solitary abscesses, looking at uh, pylon idols. We're talking about a potentially longer time that those need to be in place. You know, what's the timing by which and does this change it with the device? Sure. Yeah. So um, it's rated up to, I think, uh, three or four weeks. And what most of the data shows with the loop is somewhere between kind of three and 10 days is what they're doing. Uh, I think, and this goes back to our original comment, I think two days is too short. And that's why pulling packing at two days compared to a loop that stays in longer, why the loop performs better. Um, and so what we tend to do with our patients is we give them, you know, home instructions that talk about what would it look like when this when we think this thing is cured? And so leave some flexibility. So there's no induration, tenderness, redness, warmth, dra- obviously no drainage, no fever. So if they check all these boxes, it's probably safe to cut out. And we do let them cut it out at home. And so you tell them, look, cut one side, don't cut both sides, cut one side, um, and then you just pull it out um, like you would a suture, essentially. Um, so pretty straightforward. We, we always tell them, hey, if you're not comfortable with this and a fraction of them are not comfortable pulling it out, um, just come on back and we'll clip it out or go see your doctor. It's very, very um, straightforward. But I think, um, you know, three to kind of seven days is going to be common. It really depends on, you know, 
when the clinical cure is, which depends on how big it is, how much cellulitis there is, that sort of thing. Let's give a, as we kind of wrap around the technology and everything like that, let's uh, give uh, closing thoughts and, and ideas on uh, what folks need to do, because this is clearly kind of the evolution of the technology and the technique that needs to be adopted within our emergency departments, you know, community physicians and uh, academic alike uh, that may or may not, you know, whether it's this dis- use of the device or not, uh, you know, using the loop, uh, loop IND approach is probably the uh, ideal um, and evidence-based way of managing these at this point until uh, evidence comes out um, um, otherwise. So uh, give us any uh, closing thoughts that you may have and um, uh, any contact information for how to dig in deeper if, if folks have questions. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so I think one of the main points is that abscess treatment has not changed, um, you know, for thousands of years with small exceptions. So there's some evidence that ancient Rome and, and Greek, um, you know, soldiers were, were doing this open IND, this, this lancing technique. You know, obviously in the last hundred years, antibiotics have become very important. Um, and now I think in the last 10 years, um, there's a, a technique that has actually helped to reduce the failure rate a little bit. So I think the take home points are, um, Number one, I think a very good drainage is critical, and that's obviously hard to measure in studies, but I think if you looked at these studies with really different outcomes with really similar interventions, I think that's what you're going to find. It's really, really hard to measure the quality of the drainage. And so whether you make a big incision or a small incision, you get your instrument in there, you break loculations, you make sure all the pus comes out, whether it's through irrigation or manual pressure, get as much out as possible, leave a drain in there. So Whichever way you do it, if you want to suture something in there, if you're old school or you want to put a vessel loop in there, don't let that thing close up in the next, you know, 48 to 72 hours, because I think that's critical for healing. I think, like you said, the antibiotic question has gone back and forth um, over my career and people will drag out fight at meetings um, to have that debate. I think the last meta-analysis that came out a couple of years ago is pretty clear that there is a benefit um, for antibiotics, but like everything else, it can be used selectively. So. I think we all know who's going to fail off of antibiotics. And it's those that, you know, maybe in kids, a lot of kids have fever. If they're febrile, if they have a big, huge cellulitis, if you think due to do some aspect of your drainage procedure, whether it be inadequate analgesia, inadequate sedation, if you think you didn't get all the loculations or septations, um, that probably matters. So all that can factor into your decision. If you have a tiny abscess with no cellulitis that's adequately drained, of course, that's probably going to do okay without antibiotics. So it's not a one size fits all, but these are the things you should be thinking about when you do this procedure. And then I I think finally, and company aside, and I'll say this anywhere I go, I really do believe that the vessel lid procedure is the, the standard of care at this moment right now. And I think if anybody is doing these big open drainages with these nasty scars that are resulting, especially in children. But honestly, we should be thinking this way about all of our patients in this day and age with the pain and the scarring, you know, and the, and the you know, increased complication of caring for it at home. I don't think that's appropriate anymore. And I think, you know, the vessel of procedure, whether it be with our device or any other device you can cobble together is, is the standard of care at this point. Completely agree. And, you know, not even just that large incision, those that still believe you can treat, you know, good, well-formed abscess with just antibiotics alone. Um, you know, that's, that is definitely not standard anymore. Um, and what's going to end up happening, especially if you're in a standalone setting, is they're going to end up in the emergency department or another emergency department. Um, getting that incision and drainage done. So uh, do your patients a favor and uh, knock it out the right way the first time. 
Also encouraging, you know, I've seen quite a bit where folks didn't believe it was an abscess because it was relatively, the skin was flat, uh, it was red, but flat. Um, you know, getting that ultrasound and taking a look to see if there's that fluid collection down there because I've had another, uh, I mean, a number of abscesses that we ended up uh, INDing because the um, practitioner that initially take, took a look at it didn't think there was actually abscess there. They just thought it was cellulitis. You know, so getting that ultrasound, taking a look, seeing where that uh, phlegmon is, uh, that fluid collection, you can actually mark it out to kind of know where you need to be uh, and getting that thing opened up as best you can. Um, because it is, it is something, it's a very painful uh, condition. You know, that may, that may be a revisit we have here, you know, on a follow-up podcast on the uh, analgesia approach. Um, you know, my preference is just uh, kind of numbing up where I'm going to make the incisions or where it's going to go in and then actually uh, kind of filling the cavity space with a local anesthetic in order to kind of numb that entire cavity, um, which really, you know, it's uncomfortable initially, but patients tend to like it when you're uh, washing things out or packing or doing whatever you need to do. And, um, and, and then make sure, making sure that you uh, get that follow-up plan together, and, and in this case, getting those, uh, getting those, loops, uh, that, those loops in place and tied down uh, so get that practiced up. You know, it's, there's a lot of personal techniques to it, but the most important thing is that with these abscesses, we get them uh, drained out and appropriately treated, especially in our pediatric population, because we want, uh, especially with them, uh, to have as, uh, as few painful uh, conditions and, and experiences as possible. Uh, but as for me, you can contact me at rstantonadasep.org, rstantonadasep.org, or at Everyday Med on Twitter. I also welcome uh, and encourage you to not only share the podcast with other colleagues and friends and those of interest, but also making sure that you are uh, that you are, have established your subscription uh, to the uh, podcast on whatever player you have. The good news is it's free, so uh, that free open access uh, to medical education. Um, through uh, whatever player you enjoy. But make sure you're getting every single week because we have great information, great ex- experts like uh, Dr. Wilkinson here and, um, uh, and making sure that uh, you, you're up to date as you can with your medical practice. So Dr. Wilkinson, thanks for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you again so much. And if anybody um, wants to contact me or wants uh, more information about the device, please, uh, you know, you can check it out at emdevicelab.com. There's um some videos and uh, some contact information and if anybody would like uh, to trial the device uh, we can get you some and you can contact us through the website and uh, we can often do either uh, in-person or virtual training if that's uh, something you'd like absolutely there's plenty of information online and they are generous enough to send you a practice kit which they did here to me as well and um, a great way to learn that new technique and, and get that into your practice and spread it among your partners and uh, emergency department. And until next time, I'm Dr. Ryan Stanton, and this has been some ASAP Frontline.
If you're not on the front lines, you're on the sidelines.